back in First Timothy, um, and we're going to chapter 6, and there's some amazing things that he's showing us all through this. If you remember that as we've gone through this, if you could think back, that um, he's given inst- instruction under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a young pastor named Timothy. You know, Paul has helped train this guy, and he left him, as we know in the historical part, because inter- interpreting and understanding Scripture, you need to know everything going on around it. I mean, it's no different than as you try to understand anything that you read, whether you're reading Shakespeare or whatever, the same laws apply of like what we call hermeneutics and all of that of of being able to interpret you need to know the context you know the historical and uh, the cultural uh, the literary all these things that are in so that you can understand what's going on as we look into this we see that that Paul has pretty much left Timothy to pastor the church in in Ephesus and 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 no time you know there's trouble and there's problems and Things are going on, and so he's, he, he wants to come visit and help set some things in order. Now, that makes me feel better because doesn't it show that, isn't it amazing that God has chosen to do his kingdom work through not the angels to come do it, but the people that he's redeemed out of this mess, right? And, and all of us still deal with that flesh and, and, and weaknesses and difficulties, and, and even pastors that Paul trained in churches that he helped plant, it was in no time that, man, there was like, People getting on to each other's nerves and problems and controversies and doctrinal issues and man, always and so it's messy, isn't it? And if we're going to do God's work, it's going to get messy, okay? And if we're going to try to reach the lost, there are going to be challenges and it's going to be a lot of struggles and difficulties. And I think a lot of people find it's just safer to just meet in our little walls and just do our little thing and just leave everything else alone. Just give me a comfortable, lazy sun, Sunday so I can just come and enjoy what I enjoy and just go home and do my thing. But that's not what God's called us to and that's not a picture of a New Testament church. He said to go into all the world And we want to infect this messed up world of ours with the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. Both things. God's love and grace and God's truth. And I want to tell you, we live in a mixed up mess these days. And the world is not getting better, it's getting worse. The country that we live in that was founded on a lot of good biblical principles is not a biblical place anymore. It's not a Christian nation. We're in a post-Christian nation, folks. I think a lot of people just thought somehow it was the government's job to make us, you know, do all the right things. Hey, I'm not surprised that heathen folks are doing the things that they're doing. Don't be surprised if the heathen people act like heathens. There's a lot of people who don't know the Lord. And, and, and it's the tragedies that are happening. See, we're going we're gonna to have to deal with this. So what I want to talk about... Now, I had that thing... <laughs> Jeff, I said, I'm not going to forget it this week. I said, I'm not going to forget it and have to come back there. And then I took it out of my pocket and left it right here. Because I want to em- employ your eyes as well as your ears. And that's why we do this. I uh, want to talk about keeping it real in the real world. Okay? Uh, because we live in this real world and we have to deal with it. And there's a lot of wickedness and craziness out there. And, you know, and it's just, I'm just appalled. I don't know about you, but it seems like a new day, new mass shooting somewhere. That, that, and, and see, the thing about it is, is there's so much evil out there. And I personally think that there are so many people. And see, some of these people are religious people. You know, they may be Muslim or they may be some kind of wacko person that calls themselves a Christian. Because when you take the word of God and you don't properly understand it and misapply it, a lot of evil things have been done under the name of Christianity even. That's why Paul is adamant. Boy, you're going to see him plow through this about false teachers. Well, I tell you, a lot of damage is done. And some of these have wacky ideas that are, are, are from, from Satan. Um, 
But there are people that are really giving themselves over. And I want to tell you, I think that drugs have a lot to do with it, of opening yourself up, because even a demon can't just possess you and take over without some kind of permission from you. See, if you're a believer, you belong to Jesus, they can't take you, right? So please understand, there's a lot of, lot of bad teaching out there on this kind of thing. But I think we're seeing a lot of people that get so under the influence of the enemy that he's a murderer and he wants to kill and he wants to cause problems. And I think, I think we're seeing, we're probably seeing demon possession and we're seeing things like that that are influencing people today. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But it's just wickedness. And, you know, all the controversy and now we're, with all the laws and all of this. But I want to tell you something. Beyond the whole issues of our rights as Americans and things like that, uh, uh, and gun control and stuff like that. Here's what happens. As, as society gets more and more wicked and evil and sinful, it seems like those in power have to try to come up with more and more laws to control us, to protect us from ourselves. See? So, so here's the thing. Legislation, I'm, I'm, I'm off subject here, but let's go with it, all right? Uh, Legislation is not going to be the answer. More laws are not going to be the answer. I'll tell you what, the only answer is, is the gospel that you and I have. That's the only thing. We've got to have people's hearts change. It doesn't matter what laws you change. It doesn't change anything in the hearts of people. What needs to happen is you and I need to be real in this real world. We need to be real Christians in this real world where people can really know the gospel and really know the truth and really get saved so that their lives get changed. The way they think gets changed. Because what happens is we just all get comfortable. And living in a town like this, we just get comfortable. I mean, we're trying to do some new things on Wednesday nights, and, and even in the adult Bible studies, we're trying to figure out times and things. I feel like we have a gap here with, with ministering to uh, our, our older uh, uh, people, and I want to provide some things. And that's why I told Joni, I told somebody, I said, I'll do a class on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock noon if it helps some of you be able to come. Or, or I'll do two of them. But there's not that many people want to come. And, and, and someone asked this morning, why is it that with all the different Bible studies and things that you try to offer that so few people come? And it's because things are too comfortable for us. We have another 9-11, another big tragedy right here at home, and all of a sudden people are wanting to hear from God. But otherwise, we just kind of know he's there, and we just kind of want to do what's easiest, and, and that's what happens to us. But we've got to be real, and we've got to be ready, folks. We really do. Because the thing that's going to have to happen is people that are out there that now they know nothing of God's truth, okay? Your boss and your people at work, they're not people who, you know, when I first moved even to Hartville, you could talk to folks out there and say, hey, we'd like to have you at church. And a lot of times they would just duck their head down and say, yeah, I know, I need to. You know, nowadays you say something like that and they'll say, why? Really? Why your church? Why not some other church? Why your religion? Why not some other religion? You know what? Those are good questions. Those are valid questions. Those are questions we need to be able to answer with God's truth. Right? They, 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 you know? Because they don't know. They don't know anything. They're not, it's not been taught even by, you know, even my generation, a lot of, of, of the, our parents coming up in the 60s uh, raising kids uh, dropped out of church but still had grandma and grandpa to kind of take them to church and teach them things. Well, see, now we're generations past that. And you got people today that absolutely know zero about God's truth or anything. Nothing. And, and so when you start talking to them and using the words that we use, they look at you like a cow looking at a new gate. They have no idea what you're talking about, you know. Uh, and so we've got to start where they are. And so we expect them somehow to just come here and find the truth. And where the biblical model is, we take the truth to them. 
All right? So what Paul is saying is, is how you are out there, you need to be real. Now, this whole uh, um, teaching here he's been talking about, you could kind of sum up uh, kind of his, his main idea in chapter 2, like um, in First Timothy chapter uh, f- 3, excuse me, um, in verse 15, where he says that, uh, I'm writing these things so you guys know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. Uh, at church, but it's not just at church. See, here's the thing. It's at home, at church, in the world, and in your whole life. And so he's going to deal with some things beyond the church gathering, okay, today and in this passage because uh, we need to be real when we come together, but it isn't just how you get along and conduct yourselves within the family of God, particularly the local church. Listen to me. Listen to me. Are you listening? It's also, it's also, are you listening? Listen, get this. It's also about how we conduct ourselves outside of this gathering, out in the world, where it's even more difficult. We have to live in the real world, and God wants us to be real. By real, I mean authentic. By authentic, I mean genuine. And by genuine, I mean Real. Oops, I went a whole circle here. I mean, we're the real deal. He wants us to be that way out there because they need to see God's truth. They need. I think the world wants to see that from us. So we need to be authentic followers of Christ out there in this wicked world where things get real in a hurry. Okay? So listen to this passage. And then, God willing, God help us in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about contentment and how to miss it. Or how to get it, okay? All right? So we're going to kind of end with that, but we'll, Lord help us pick up on it. He may come get us all before then. I don't know. How about, what do you think? It'd be all right, but there's still people need to hear this message. So in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says this. So we're picking up here. He's been getting instruction about things going on in the church family. But now he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, But let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters, Worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let not them despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Then he says, teach and exhort, expound on these things. Now, obviously, some were teaching something different, so he plows into that. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. We're going to stop right there. Uh, So we're going to keep it real. Now, first place, he talks about being real, besides just at home and besides just at church, is uh, in the world, at work. How about that? Keeping it real at work. Hmm. Are you the same person at work as you are here? And we've had discussions about this. I know that, you know, um, it's different if you work around cows or people. 
I mean, you know, I mean, God does care, right, how we treat animals. There's stuff in the Old Testament about how we treat animals. God, God does care because, see, all of it belongs to him. And, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you're, you're, you're beating my cow half to death there. So, yeah, but your cow just kicked me. Well, anyway, but uh, things like that. But, you know, you can get away with doing more stuff to cows than you can people. And, and I thought, you know, growing up on a dairy farm, I just can't wait to, wait to get away from all these cows and things like that. And then, you know, as God called me to be a pastor, I realized that, you know, maybe the cows weren't so bad. Anyway. Um, but um, you know so whatever but uh, we got to deal with people we got to deal with the real world we got to deal with this whole system out there and whenever we're we're doing this somebody writes your paycheck that means you kind of have to answer to them okay and, and there's authority and there's roles and responsibilities involved in this. And that's kind of what he's talking about. All right, well, let's get real about Timothy and his day. Because you need to understand this and interpret it in the right context. And when Paul tells Timothy this, and the word here is bondservant. Don't let that throw you. The way that would apply to us is, is like with bosses and employees in our culture, okay? And it was a little different then, but uh, you need to know kind of what their whole system was like. So if you had lived in Timothy's day and had been a alive when this letter was first written and delivered to the church, uh, more than likely over half of you would be slaves. You just would. Because that's the way that that society operated. Uh, In the Roman-dominated world of that day, it's estimated that half or more of the population were slaves. Some were taken into slavery, slavery after war. Others were born into it. And then others sold themselves into it because of debt. It wasn't exactly like the kind of slavery that we had in our country some 170 years ago. It wasn't exactly like that. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it more closely resembled uh, what was going on in some of the colonial days of indentured servants. Because these slaves, even though uh, they didn't have total freedom, most of them had their own homes and they had their own families and things like that. But they were not free. They were under the authority of their master. In our day, you know, people say, well, see, slavery is about... What we had as slavery in the United States was a little different than that, where people actually treated other human beings as less than human and treated them as property with no rights at all. And split up families and did all of the things that they did in those slave days, okay? Um, and, you know, and people even in those days tried to use the Bible to justify treating other human beings that way. Uh, but yet I'm glad that we come from a heritage of people who fought against that the whole time. Because during the whole time, there's, and, and leaders of the association that we're involved with all these hundreds of years later were those that were the most outspoken about how that God had created all human beings equal and that, um, uh, about how we treat one another and everything. Benjamin Randall, by the way, was a leader in that. So when I talk about slavery, sometimes you want to think about slavery the way it existed in the United States back in the early 1800s. That's not exactly how their slavery operated, by the way. So they were bond servants is how it is often uh, translated. So I want you to think about the different classes and the different races and the different ethnic groups and the different social statuses that you had in their society. Are you with me still? I got to do a little teaching here. Come on. Now, the gospel is spreading throughout this part of the Roman Empire. And it brings everyone together in Christ, regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, regardless of your social status. And it's been said that the the ground is level at the cross. 
Now, they lived in uh, uh, um, a society that uh, not everybody was free, and uh, women were actually treated very poorly uh, in their society, had no rights at all. And in fact, in some segments of it, uh, a female could not even be used as a witness in a court of law or a trial. They wouldn't even take your word as a witness to something. So you had basically no rights. If your husband put you away in divorce, you had no recourse. You had no rights whatsoever. But now the gospel's changing that, see? Because he's teaching that we all have equal value in Christ. We're not the same as far as our roles and responsibilities. Paul's talked about that in Timothy, all right. Ready? Remember that? Um, But he says that we're all one in Christ, and he broke down the dividing walls that divided us. And it's amazing the barriers that were knocked down in the first century. When believers gathered to worship in their local groups, it was amazing to see the assortment of people that came together and fellowship together and worship together. And you know what? It was like nothing else. And it really ought to look that way. You know it? It really should. And only the gospel can do this to bring people together that never could have got together before. To bring people together to have something in common that never had anything in common before. The gospel was doing that. You had slaves and you had masters and you had Jews and you had Gentiles and you had men and you had women and you had all kinds of this mix coming together. Don't think it wasn't tough. You know, our, 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 our fellowships and our gatherings, our local churches, ought to look a lot like the communities we're in if we're doing it right. But it's kind of become specialized. Is it still true what, what Martin Luther King Jr. said, that the most segregated place in America is church on Sunday morning? Still? Is it still that way? Should it be that way? Not if everything is to be brought together into Christ. See? So we're really not fulfilling and getting real like we should. We have specialized I guess that's just the way it is. I mean, it's hard to be all things to all people, but, you know, we got some churches that are more traditional. We got some churches that are flat out old fashioned. We got some churches that are more contemporary. We got some that are just like wacky crazy. I know, you know, just like wild. You know what I'm saying? We've got, you know, kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like going to a doctor now. I just want to see a doctor. Okay? And um, so I'm worried about this mole here or something. And so, well, we're going to have to refer you to a specialist. No, wait a minute. Aren't you a doctor? Cut that thing off there if you don't like it. No, I can't do it. I've got to. Why can't you do it? You know? Oh, I have problems with that. We'll have to send you to a throat doctor, ear doctor. Why, whatever happened, just a doctor doctor, right? Everybody's specialized now, aren't they? We just need to get a good veterinarian in here, don't we? And just let them take care of us, right? Uh, well, hey, yeah, I'm not the, we're not the only family that doctored ourselves with the animal medicine, are we, huh? Look around here. Look around here. Yeah, yeah. I see that hand. Is it, you're, but anyway... Uh, it's the same way it's gotten where churches are almost like that now. But in those days, they didn't really have that opportunity. They had to try to, to minister to everybody. And so here's what I'm saying is, that's awesome and that's great, but that brings challenges. Maybe one reason we don't do it is because it requires more giving and taking on our part. And we just don't want to do it. We want things our way, right? So we find other people that like things our way. We're not dealing with any central teaching of Scripture. We're talking about personal preferences, And we just kind of, you know, do that. Uh, They didn't really have that luxury because of the way things were in their culture, okay? They had to gather and meet, and and many times it was in homes and churches. You don't even hear of giant church buildings built for the purpose of, of the church gathering in until you get to about the fourth century. 
They just didn't even have that. In fact, uh, the Roman government began intense persecution of Christians. Um, so that kind of brings people together in another way. But, but when you have this, you have some opportunities for trouble that you wouldn't have otherwise, right? For example, those who were slaves... Some of them may be using their newfound freedom in Christ to be disrespectful to their masters because, after all, aren't we equal in Christ? You see? It could cause some problems. And Timothy reminds them here that they are under... Look at what he says. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke, okay? He says you're under... He likes to use farming illustrations as well. Basically, under the yoke means you're under the authority of someone else, You're under their authority. And you are to count or regard your own masters, he says, as worthy of honor, he says, to count them. He says uh, in this translation, to count their own masters worthy of all honor. That word to count means to to make an estimate based on objective criteria, not internal feelings. To count means to make an estimate based on objective criteria, not internal feelings because your master may be a rascal but he says honor them it has to, listen it has to do with the position not necessarily the person there might be some things about the person that aren't honorable and some things about the person that you might not like but the position you have to respect so that's what he says about count. And I'm glad he uses that word this way because we kind of worry about things being any count or no count or things like that. Yeah, remember that? I remember, remember that, Galen? Galen was talking, or somebody was talking about buying uh, uh, some kind of vehicle or something and, and um, he was from California and Galen asked him the question, is it any count? And he's like, what? Can it count? It's totally baffled him, didn't it? He is absolutely no way. And so I tried to interpret. I said, is it of any account? Do you estimate it having any value? Right? So, see, we get that from Paul, don't we? That's all it is. We're just, you know, speaking biblically, and people that come from heathen lands don't understand us. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. But um, I have relatives that moved in from Northwest, and they're like, where's yonder? What's all this stuff about yonder? Just about any time I ask for something, it's yonder. Where is yonder? And... uh, (laughs) I can't answer because without saying over yonder. But um, anyway, so here's what he's saying, that you need to, to uh, realize you're under the yoke. That means you're under their authority. Whether you like it or not, it's a reality. All right? So then he kind of gives two things here. Ready? And this is on chapter one, 6, verse 1 and 2. If your boss is an unbeliever, if your boss is not a believer, and then if your boss is a believer. So there might be two different things happening here. So he starts off just assuming that probably your master, your boss, who I'm telling you that you need to respect, is probably not a believer. There's going to be a lot of things about the way they do things. It's going to be difficult. But he says, I want you to give them honor. Why? Look at that. So that the name of God and his doctrine or his teaching may not be blasphemed or spoken evil of. So they're going to take God's truth and they'll speak evil of God's truth because they're representative of God's truth to you and you're causing problems. So they're going to tie what they think about God to you and you've been a bad witness. And you say, yeah, but, 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 but you don't know how they are. God says, I don't care how they are. You're still a bad witness. And you're causing my name to be misrepresented. Amen. So you're to give them the honor and respect because of their position, even if their person doesn't deserve it. It doesn't matter if you're smarter than they are. And who hasn't had that happen, right? 
You know, you know more than, yeah, I know, it happens, it happens. It doesn't matter if you're smarter than they are. It doesn't matter if they're the type of person that shows favoritism or lack of integrity or even if they persecute you because of your faith in Christ. God wants you to, to do your job wholeheartedly. And, and you have to be submissive to that authority because when you do that, it shows the teachings of Christ better when you do that than anything you say. All right? Now, the, the exception would be if they ask you to do something that caused you to violate specific Scripture. And then what Peter said in Acts chapter 5 comes into play about how we ought to obey God rather than man. Okay? So there may be that. And I got to experience some of this, you know. And being a pastor for most of my life, I've just had to, I've had, I have to deal with God's sheep, you know. And whew, I heard Chuck Swindoll say one time, if you don't, if you can't stand the smell of sheep, you better not be a pastor, right? See the imagery there, shepherd, sheep, stuff like that. Um, if you've ever been around sheep or goats, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but anyway, in working for a giant retail store whenever, you know, early years of marriage, so I grew up on the farm, you know, and I thought, man, this is going to be great. You know, you punch in and punch out. And I realized I was ready to punch somebody out before. No, uh, it's, it's difficult because you get these bosses that, and I had that. I had, I had some of this workplace stuff where, um, you know, because by the time I'm working this big retail and I'm going back to college, and I'm, I just got married, okay, and I'm very young, you know, and, and then I've got a boss who is I'm just going to say, you know, based on all biblical criteria, I'm not trying to judge. I'm just discerning. He was a jerk. And he knew I was a preacher, and so he really wanted to make things tough. He wanted to harass me. He wanted to razz me. But then I find out later, this guy actually did go to church. Some. And he had things going on that were against company policy. One of the things that was against policy was, to, was profanity with that company. They really... And, and I'm thankful I had a store manager that was a good guy. And uh, he, he, you know, I just, yeah, it was. But anyway, this guy that was underneath him, he loved to take the Lord's name in vain constantly, constantly, right into my face and right at me. I mean, just very aggressive and like that. And I just kind of had to take it. They put me doing stuff, you know. And I thought, back then, you know, you make a minimum wage. I mean, Chris and I get married, and we're both trying to make it. We both make a minimum wage, right, for a good long time. You can do that. Did you know it? You can, and back, you know, what was it, like $3.50 back then, all right? So I'm making like $3, and I, I, and I got a raise. I'm making three seventy-five. And I heard someone else say, if they want $8 worth of work out of me an hour, they need to pay me that. They're only going to get $4 worth of work out of me. You know, I thought, makes sense, right? But, but anyway, then I thought, you know, wait a minute, I'm here. I have to be here. And that was tough for me growing up on a farm during this one semester I took off from college so we could make ends meet. That, um, that you know, I, I get up and I, I was on a day schedule, but, but I'm getting there. The sun's just coming up, you know, in the, in the late fall. The sun's just coming up. And then when I got out, I was in that building all day. And then when I get out, the sun's going down. That affected me, you know, being raised working outdoors. It was tough. But anyway, another tough thing was just the way this guy talked. And I just decided, you know what, I'm going to have to be here. I've got to put in my time. It goes faster if you're busy. I'm just going to work as hard as I can and do what I can. I don't care if I get credit or not because I knew that that's what God wanted me to do. Not that that was easy, but I, I did my best. And it seemed like things got worse. Other people love to take credit for what you do. And other people like to manipulate you to do things that they're supposed to do, right? And then you got this boss always wanting to hassle you and try to see how much he can push you before you snap and then use God's name. And I only did one time. I only just kind of got in his face once. And I just asked him. I said, Frank, not his real name. I said, yeah, his real name was Kevin. I'm sorry, but... Um, 
<laughs> I said, what has God ever done to you to make you talk like this about him? And you know what? I didn't know what he would do. And he's just like, because I knew he did go to church some. He was, I just figure a speech, you know, I just figure a speech. I said, well, what if somebody used your mama's name like that? You wouldn't like it, would you? I said, I'll tell you why that's offensive to me. Because this is a God who's my savior, my redeemer. I love him. I worship him. And you keep bad-mouthing him and you keep cursing him right to my face. I'm just wondering, what has happened in your life to make you so bitter against God? Well, that's just the way I talk. Then he said, pardon my French then. And I said, that's not French. (laughs) But I not only had that, some of the women that worked back there knew I was a preacher, knew I was young married, and, you know, would um, do things. Um, Seductive type things or just nasty type things. It was not easy time. All right? Me too! (laughs) You didn't get it. I'm sorry. Totally. Yeah, I was harassed just a little bit because they know you're supposed to be a preacher and all this, you know, so they try to, these little innuendos and these things. Yeah, that, that. So, so I, you know, I, I hated that time, you know. I, I, you know, it's like, uh, but, you know, I just wanted, and God showed me something there. I just wanted to do the best because I had to. This is not what I, God showed me, this is not what I want to do for, this is not what I'm called to do. I can't stand inside a building all day and, and things like that, but this is not what I'm called to do. And so I didn't want to get sidetracked to try to make money because you don't really get wealthy being a pastor and, and to stay on track with what God wanted me to do. And he used that. And then I got to see a store manager that, that did recognize over time things that you're doing and, and offered like, do you want a future here? And But I was ready to say, no, I don't. <laughs> and then I also got to see Frank <laughs> pack his stuff and be escorted out of the building one day because they canned him. Uh, anyway, but that was much later on. And, you know, I, I hope things... And, and by the way, one of those women who was kind of like less than... Um, appropriate around me. After I was pastoring at the Grace Church in Oklahoma City, I ran into one of those at the grocery store and her life was totally wrecked and totally a mess and her whole family had fallen apart and she really looked bad. And, uh, but I recognized her and she recognized me and she came to me crying and wanting prayer. And I'm just so thankful that I didn't do anything back there to mess that up. And she didn't end up coming to our church but got into another church. You just never know, do you? But it goes back to say that God's way works best. It just does. Is it the easiest? Not initially. And that's why he's telling him these things. And so, um, if you uh, keep it real there, you're going to be different from those around you. You're going to be different from those who don't follow Christ. It doesn't matter where you work or for whom you work. You remember what Jesus said? You remember his teachings, and you try to actually live them out. Remember what Jesus said about going the extra mile? Yeah, you, you, you know, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. Turning the other cheek, you're going to have to do that some. Working hard when others don't. About being honest when others fudge the numbers. You show up on time, even after the guy who's always tardy gets that promotion that you felt like you deserved. That's when you find out if you're willing to trust God or not. And there's times you're just going to get You're going to get rooked. You're going to get the raw deal. Are you willing to trust God? I mean, not that you can't ever stand up for your rights. Remember, remember this. Remember this right here. Paul tells uh, the Colossians, he says, bond servants, same, same, it's us, right? 
We're working. Bond servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now, they're not the master in any other way. They're not God, right? But according to the flesh. He says, not with eye service. You know what that means? It means not just while their eye is on you. You know, that you want to try to look busy. And you just want to try to, you know, you're all about eye service, about the way things look. As men pleasers. You know, don't be like that. Don't be, don't be trying to be that type of guy or gal. But it says, but do it, but, but. Obey with sincerity of heart in here, fearing God. You may not respect that guy or that gal that's your boss, but you fear God. You're doing it out of fear of God. And then he says, whatever you do, do it heartily. That means with all your heart, as to the Lord, not to man. So you're not working for them, you're working for God, even though you are under their authority. So that's what we want to do. And um, so do you have a Christian work ethic? What would your coworkers say? Okay, all right. Even maybe falsely accused at work. How do you deal with that? Paul says it's very important that you show respect because this may speak a louder sermon than any preacher could ever preach. Your life. But that's where it's real, folks. Is that real? Yes. Now, what if your boss is a believer? That was the other thing. He says in verse 2, he says, And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they're brethren. Just because we're all equal in Christ doesn't mean we occupy the same roles. So there was a problem of people wanting to take advantage of the one in authority just because they're a brother or sister and I sit by you at church and I teach your kids Sunday school class. I'm just making the part up because I don't know that that's what they did, but it could be, right? Could be, could be. Don't disrespect them, he says. Don't despise her. The word literally in the Greek means to think down upon them. Instead, he says what you should do is work harder. Even though you're brothers in Christ, and even though God's broken those, those social barriers down, don't use that to slough off at work. If anything, you should work harder for them because they're a brother and because it says here that uh, those benefited are believers and they are beloved. God loves them. That's a child of God you're working for there. And, and, and even, if you, even if you working hard makes them look better and they get the credit for it, the blessing that they get, they're worshiping God with it and God loves them and you're benefiting them. So hey, maybe, maybe they've been playing, praying, Lord, I need a blessing. And God sends you along to be a good worker underneath them to be a blessing to them. You might be an answer to prayer to them, okay? So this is the thing that he's teaching them. And he says, teach and exhort these. Man, this is important stuff. You know, anytime you realize God sees what you're doing, man won't always see it and appreciate you. Believe me, I know. No, I'm kidding. Oh, didn't get that one either, you know. Pity party. Nobody appreciates me. Rarely they do. But then when they try to, I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. We're not trying to please men, mankind, men and women. We're to please God. I heard Adrian Rogers say years ago, when you try live to please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease. But if you don't please God, then it doesn't matter who else you do please. Okay. Anytime you follow God's word and just live the way he instructs, you know what that is? That's taking the teachings of the word of God and actually living them out. That, listen to me, that, you see that word godliness that keeps popping up? That's what godliness is. What does it mean to be godly? It's not just some attitude where you walk around with your nose stuck in the air thinking you're more holy than everybody else. It is actually living in a way that is an expression of the faith that you have in God's word. It's living out the truths that you say that you believe in. That's being 
godly. God, Christ-like, all of that does come into play with that. But that's what he's talking about here, about being godly. All right? Okay, before we finish this up, i got to say one more thing. What if you're the boss? We didn't say anything about that, because some of them were. Can I get a verse on that? No? How many of you be like, yeah? Okay, obviously I'm more excited about this than you are. Okay? Yeah, way more. <laughs> he told the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, and you masters, aha, and you some of you are, right? And you bosses do the same things to them. I'm talking about respect and honor and being godly. Don't take advantage of them. Don't think you're better than them. You ever have to go to the employment office? I mean, you know, there was one time I did do that. I went to the employment office, you know, trying to, and ended up working for the retail giant. But um, it's almost like one of the ladies working in there was like, very disrespectful. I'm just like 19 years old. Already married. Anyway, another story. Um, and it's almost like, I've got a job and you don't. You ever feel that? Yeah. You just got to deal with it. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and let the Lord lift you up. Don't try to get all, yeah. Anyway, masters, don't be looking down on them just because you the boss. All right? He says, do the same things to them, giving up threatening. Boy, you better watch that. Don't be trying to use your position to manipulate them and threaten them. He says, knowing this, this is what you need to think about. Your own master is in heaven. Your own master isn't upstairs in the office. Your master, your real master, let's get real, is in heaven. And he's watching you. And there's no partiality with him. You're not going to be making excuses to him. He's going to deal with you according to truth, okay? So, have we got it covered? Have we got it covered? I can keep going. I've got it covered. Hey, Amen. I need some interaction. Come on. Goodness. All right. Well, let's keep it real in the world. I'm just going to fly through this really fast because if you're going to listen to this, being real, being real at home, being real at church, being real at work, and being real in life all has to do with keeping it real in the Word of God. If you're not keeping it real here, you're not going to be able to apply that truth anywhere else. So if you're off other places, it's probably because you're off here. If you're off here, you're going to be off everywhere else. And obviously, some were off, and that's why he said, I want you to teach this, what I just told you. I want you to expound on it. And obviously, some were teaching something different, and Paul plows into them. We really, this, see, the thing is, is that it all has to do with living a life that's in keeping with the real word of God. It means we really have faith, and because of that, we live out what Jesus teaches us. And it's obvious that there were those who were teaching stuff that wasn't square with God's truth. I mean, these people that Paul talked about, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, are you looking at it? That's verse 3, in case you're wondering. Verse 3, he says, Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine or teaching that accords with what? Godliness. There it is again, of living this way. So there were some that were spouting off something else. And he said, these aren't just my words. Now, he's an apostle. He's one that was appointed and set up part by Christ to speak in his behalf. God used him to write down a majority of the New Testament scriptures. So it was through the apostles or those who worked right under them that he used to give forth the word. All right? And Paul is one of those. And so he says, it's not just what I'm saying. These are the words of Christ. And so they are, dis- they are despising the words of Christ. And these are things that have to do with living a godly life. Obviously, there was some teaching other things. Oh, they, see, they're denying the truth. Oh, they don't think they are. 
Oh, they think that they're the, they're the champions of truth. They think they're right and everybody else is wrong. So when Paul's saying this, keep that in mind, that they think that they're really God's answer to everything. And they've got the word, see? So some of them weren't teaching God's truth. They claimed it was. But remember, the best lies are those lies that sound the most like the truth, aren't they? In fact, are you still with me? They sound better than the truth. You want to know why? Because God's truth often cuts cross grain against our selfish flesh, our emotions and our desires. And even though you're saved, this new creature in Christ still lives in this old body of flesh and there's still a sinful flesh nature attached to it that you have to deal with. I don't care how sanctified you are, you still have those moments of weakness in the flesh and of the fleshly mindset that want to pull us into selfishness. Okay? God's truth goes against our sinful emotions and desires. So there's things that, boy, that sounds right because it feels right. It feels right because it feels right to our fleshly mind. So if you're just going by that, Satan's lies or half-truths will sound better to you and you want it to be the truth. I'll tell you something else. God's truth often goes against our human logic. It doesn't make sense to us because our minds have been corrupted by the flesh. Even though you're saved, you have to battle that fleshly corruption. It stands to reason that the sinful human mind wants to latch on to that which seems logical and pleasing to it. You need to know this about yourself because you and I, if we're not careful and staying real in the Word, we will latch on to things that aren't right because it pleases us, feels good. If anyone teaches otherwise, so, uh, yeah, if anyone teaches otherwise, that's what he says. And then he, boy, he goes through telling what these people do. And then at the end of verse 5, he says, from such withdraw yourself. So if some aren't teaching things that are squaring up with this, you need to say, excuse me, I'm going somewhere else. Even if that turns out to be me, you better slap me upside the head and straighten me out. But you know what I'm saying? That's why he says, withdraw yourself. Don't be a part of what they're doing. And um, very important. But look how you, des- how you described them there. It's, um, wow. They, Paul said, I've taught you wholesome words that lead to a godly life. Verse 3, one that pleases God. That's what a godly life is, something that pleases God. And then he points out again, as I said, they're not his own words, but they're actually the words of Christ because he was an apostle chosen to relay and write down the Scripture and the Word of God. By the way, the book of Scripture is completed, and it's not to be added. The last book says not to add to it or take away from it, Right? Okay, by the way, if anybody comes along today speaking with the authority of Christ, he or she had better be quoting Scripture because he's not revealing new truth that hasn't previously been revealed because the book of Scriptures is closed. So, so watch out about that because they're out there, believe me. They're like the ones Paul condemns here. He says they're proud in verse 4, but they actually know nothing. They think they know it all, but they know nothing. They are obsessed. Are you watching this? They're obsessed with starting arguments and fightings over teachings, but they are not defenders of the truths like they think they are. They think they're the ones holding up the truth, but he said they really don't know anything, and all they're doing is starting arguments. You ever see that? Man, I remember some of the fireball sermons I used to hear when I was a kid over nothing more than hair length. 
Defenders of the truth. I'll never forget being a 16-year-old and going and preaching at a country church. And, and since I was just driving, I had a friend going with me. Mom and Dad didn't want to go myself. And my friend was really growing his hair out. I mean, we're, we're, we're a half generation past the hippie days, but he, he wanted to be one, I think. And you know what? There was an old guy one time met and looked and said, Oh, and it, to me, you're one of them. My hair wasn't long. But because that guy was with me, I was one of them. What did he even mean by that? We got judged because, but that's the way it was. And there were some things that, man, we fought a lot of hard battles over stuff that was, in a lot of ways, nonsense. Wasted a lot of time, didn't we? I'm not just talking about that. But he says, this is what they do. They're proud, but they know nothing. They're obsessed with starting arguments. Fightings over teaching is what he's, what he's talking about here. Uh, and, and really, the only things that he says in verse 4 that come out of what they're teaching is envy and fights. And slander, we're talking bad about other people. And then it says evil suspicions about others. He's judging each other. and just Man, I just think there's something going on with them, right? There's always something going on. They're going to sniff out something, right? That's the way these guys were. You ever know that happening? Okay, hopefully not here. But anyway, they see all kinds of fake conspiracies. There's all these fake conspiracies going on, right? Oh, okay. Y'all with your fancy new Bible. That's a devil conspiracy. To You know what I'm saying? It's got to be black leather. Can't be... Anyway, I don't know. I'm just trying to make ridiculous illustrations to see if you're awake. All right, let's wrap it up. Cause all kinds of disputes and problems. And he says the reason why is they're actually corrupt in their own minds. And they're actually destitute of the real truth. It sounds like it's good stuff, but it's not real truth. Paul says that these regard godliness. Or remember, it could be taken as base its base form as being religious uh, here uh, being they think godliness or being religious is a means of not glorifying God but of personal gain that's what he says in verse six or verse five he says that they even suppose godliness is a means of gain or if they look like they're being godly or being religious they're making themselves rich and famous. And they're also perverting the truth. Does that sound familiar? Does that happen today? You better believe it happens today in real time. I mean, you can stream it live. Okay. Real. Did I say real? I did. All of these have to do with issues of authorities in our lives. At home, at church, at work, or just everyday life. If you're not totally submitted to God and His Word as your authority in all areas of life, then everything else is going to be out of whack. And what God needs to do is come down and whack you so you'll be in whack. Last thing, keeping it real in real life, and that's where we're going to end. Where he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. The best life of all involves real godliness. Coupled with contentment. That means being thankful for what God has given you enjoying it. Do you enjoy what God has given you or are you just so miserable because you think of things that you don't have that other people have that you can't enjoy what you do have? Lord, help us talk about that more next week. All right? God wants you to enjoy it. It's not wrong to want to better your situation. It's not wrong to want to be all that God wants you to be. But if you can't be content with the things that you now have and give God glory, what makes you think that you'll be content with that new job, 
What makes you think that if you can't be content and thankful for what you have and where you live, that you will be content with that new house? What makes you think if you can't be a faithful husband or wife now that you somehow be content with that whatever? Anyway, contentment with godliness, that's real riches. That's the real thing. And we find it by being real with Him. And then just by trusting Him by faith to be real in the real world. Is this getting real with you? Are we ready to get real with the real God who really loves us? And who really already sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins? Lord, I just wish you'd show me how much you love me. Lord, I just wish you'd help me get this, get that, whatever. And God says, I've already shown you. What more could I give you than to come down there and die for your sins? Your move. Your move. He's already made the first move.